Good morning. A little wet outside, but that's okay. It's still a good morning. I want to say she knows it anyway. Thank you, Emily, because at the spur of the moment, Emily led us in worship this morning. She wasn't supposed to. Lindsay lost her voice. And then more than that, she began to get really sick. And so uh, she couldn't be here this morning. They're on their way back to Florida. But we had a great time with them Friday evening, great time of worship. But uh, we're in the ninth chapter of the book of Joshua this morning. A great book, uh, encouraging book, a book that uh, really speaks to us about the different areas that we may fall into in our lives, areas of partial obedience areas of just flagrant, Lord, I'm just going to transgress, areas of, Lord, no need to check in with you about this decision. You go and help somebody else. I know the decision that needs to be made here. And so all areas, and as Peter speaks about the various manifold of grace in our lives. Grace comes in different areas and different shapes and forms, and we all need that grace to continue to follow the Lord. But the children of Israel, they've finally come into the promised land, and we're finding out, really, that's just the beginning. And one of a favorite scripture of mine is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Moses exhorting the children of Israel, hey, you're about to go into the land that God has brought you into. And he, he says, God brought you out, out of the land of Egypt, that he might bring you in. That should be a confidence booster to every child of God here. No matter what state we might find ourselves in this morning, whether you're feeling like a bruised reed or smoking flax, whether you're going through a trial or feeling like you're in the valley of the shadow of death, when we hear that the Lord Jesus Christ, he fights our battles and he recharges our motor and that he always, his purpose is always to bring us out of something, out of that trial, into something else, into a brighter path, into new beginnings. And we know that God always finishes what he starts. He's not like me. Jesus is the author and he's the finisher of our faith. So he brought them out of Egypt, not to let them flounder, and die in the wilderness. He wouldn't do that. Though we remember many of them did, but those that did die in the wilderness, it was because of their unbelief. But it's that new generation of believers that we're looking at. They were brought out of Egypt that God might bring them into the land of promise. And I want you to think about in your own life and what God has for you and what he is trying to bring you into this morning, because he's always moving or trying to move us. God is not stagnant. We might get stagnant at times, but you will find him pushing us to continue to move, because he's wanting to bring us into a closer walk with him. And as we have that closer walk with him, 
we have many more blessings in him. And some of us in this journey may be struggling or questioning, is God really guiding my life? Does he truly know what's best for me? Another Another one of my favorite verses is Psalms 138.8, and it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me, which concerns you. He will bring it to completion. He will finish the work. No need to be downcast or anything. God will complete the work that he started. But now they're in the promised land. But we'll find out, and we are finding out, it's not a hassle-free zone in the promised land. And they're going to have to walk in the power and the strength of God. We don't have our own power. We don't have strength enough to walk in victory. But it's his power, and it's his strength, and it's through obedience that we conquer and take hold of everything God has for us. So we're not in a playground in this world. We're in a battleground. We should know that by now as Christians. And that's why it's important that we come together and fellowship the way we do with each other, encouraging and exhorting one another. And by doing that, we will grow and learn from one another mutually. That's how God wants it. Now, last Sunday, after the children of Israel had victory at Ai, God tells Joshua to make this 30-mile trek to Shechem. And remember, they reviewed and reaffirmed the covenant there at Mount Gerasim and at Mount Ebal. But while they were worshiping Yahweh, the kings of Canaan were strategizing on how to destroy the children of Israel. And that's usually the way it works. While you're just in a time of praising the Lord and and just worshiping him, minding your own business, the enemy is maneuvering and the enemy is strategizing on how to bring the Christian down. That's his job. You could be be driving and someone's on their phone. And I, I, I have great peripheral vision, by the way. I guess it's because I was a great point guard playing basketball. (laughs) I'm just joking. But, it, but I do. So usually when I'm driving, who isn't on their phone? I thought there was a law. You couldn't drive and talk on your phone, but they're holding their phones. And I'm saying, they're going to hit somebody. So maybe someone has ran into you and they were on their phone. Maybe you thought you were getting some breathing room from a bill and then you get a, an unexpected one. Or maybe... You have a health issue that comes out of the blue. But God understands and God knows all of that because we have to understand that we're going to have battles down here. And that's what the book of Joshua is all about, going into the promised land and having victory here in this walk with the Lord until he takes us home. And what the strategy of Joshua is, He goes into the land, and he hits them in the center because he wants to take care. He's taking care of Jericho. He takes care of Ai. He takes care of Bethel, and he's trying to get a stronghold in the middle of the land. 
to separate the north from the south. So he's beginning his northern campaign, and he will go into his southern campaign here. So he's moving westward as he goes, taking down city after city. But just a few miles away from them is a crafty bunch of people known as the Gibeonites. And verse 1 of chapter 9 tells us, And it came to pass, When all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, the western side, in the hills and in the lowland and in in all the coast of the great sea, the Mediterranean, towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Parasite, notice the Hivite and the Jebusite heard about it. Now, what they heard, look down at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard... What Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, that's what they had heard. Joshua hadn't done it. The Lord had did it. So what the inhabitants of the land had heard was Joshua had come in and had victory at Ai and Bethel, and he's working his way up to the ridge into the center part of the land. So now the tribes in the north and in the south, and they are usually antagonistic toward one another. They don't get along. But now that they know what Joshua and the children of Israel are doing, they begin to get friendly and chummy with one another. They make a band with one another because they've heard about these new kids on the block here and how they're just destroying everything they touch when they're following the Lord. Joshua has, had been, has been victorious and he's built, remember, he builds this altar In the middle of the land, they've worshiped this God who has brought them out of Egypt and other nations right in the middle of the land. And the Gibeonites realizing we can't beat or defeat these people. But the rest of these leaders, they band together. And it reminds me of the Antichrist. In the end, he's going to band together with more nations, and they're going to try to defeat Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's insanity right there. So all of these nations, they come together, gather because they hear what's going on. Verse 2 says that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Notice there's no break. There's no relaxation going on. This is right after the victory at Ai. No time to kick back and bask in victory. And we know when things are going great, usually that's when an attack happens. And that's what happens here. And so that proverbial rest that we all look for, it will never happen here on planet Earth. The rest will come When we go to heaven, matter of fact, Revelation 14, the latter part of verse 13 says this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors. That's when we really get to rest and kick back. That's what I'm looking for. But until then, God is so good. He encourages us. He sustains us and he renews us daily until we get that rest. So it says, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. They're sneaky. 
That's the whole idea of this. And went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgog. So they go all the way to Gilgog, and they said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country now. Therefore, make a covenant with us. These Gibeonites, they have to be aware what the Lord has said to Joshua and what they were supposed to do to everyone in the land of Canaan. And I think they found out when Joshua, they were at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim as they proclaimed the blessings and the cursings from the law. You ever watch any of those Cowboys movies? I just thought of this, so bear with me. And the Cowboys are chilling out, and the Indians are on the hill, and they're spying out how they can get them. Well, that's what the Gibeonites are doing right here. They're listening to the law. Remember, they read the entire book, probably, of Deuteronomy. So they know what's going on. So they begin to scheme, what can we do to get out of this? Because we can't defeat them in a battle. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 20, 10 through 18, I'm going to read it. This is what it says. When you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall, shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in the city, all its spoil you shall plunder for yourself, and you shall eat the enemy's plunder, which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities, this is key, which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of the nations, the nations of Canaan, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing breathe, remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Parasite and the Hivite, which are the Gibeonites, and the Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. So the commandment was, when you make war with foreign nations outside the land of Canaan, if they submit to you and want to make peace with you, then go ahead, make peace with them, the Lord says. You don't destroy them. You make them tributaries. But the nations that are in Canaan, you must destroy. God, remember, had waited 420 years, allowing them the chance to repent of their wicked and vile ways, but they did not do that. And they were vile and wicked. God said of those nations, you must utterly destroy. And so the Gibeonites, once again, they are part of the Hivites, and they must have heard this. And now they're coming and they're pretending 
to be people far away. When compromise comes, it never comes at face value. We know that. It never comes admitting that, that it's an enemy. There's no red warning light flashes that flashes when compromise comes. When compromise says, that's not so bad, you need to date or you will never get married, or he's not so bad, he's almost a Christian, all of those compromises begin to twirl in your heart and head. But verse 7 tells us, Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And that must have perked their ears up. You know, we love being served. We should be doing the serving. But come on, we love the others to serve us. So that was their first mistake. It sounds good to the ear. We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you? And where did you come from? From the outset, this doesn't sit well with Joshua. But Joshua is about to be conned. You guys ever been conned before? I have to admit, a few times I have. And it's usually when I think I'm getting the deal. I'm getting the benefit. And while they're talking, the con is talking, and they're good at talking. I get a check that's saying, this isn't right. I know it's not right but I'm thinking I'm going to get something out of it. And God is saying, no. Joshua should have stopped them in the middle of their conversation, but he doesn't do that. And they keep talking. And the, the, the Gibeonites, they're very good at what they do because they have to be good at what they do because their lives depend on it. So Joshua, he gets a check in his spirit. And it's just not sitting right with him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 tells us, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. That word rule, we get the word umpire. And what does an umpire do? He makes a call, whether someone is safe or whether someone is out. And that's the witness of the Holy Spirit in every believer's life through God's peace that we have in our lives. And Joshua here, he goes against that peace. When he enters into this covenant, never, ever, ever go against the peace of God when he's speaking to you, when he's telling you to make one decision and you try another. Every time you do, we will make a mistake. That's one of the ways that God speaks to us, by our peace. And this is so important when it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And I used to think the idea is that as I would come to a fork in the road in my life, a decision that I needed to make, that God would give me a greater peace about that decision. But that's not what Paul is speaking of. Paul is speaking I already have, we already have the peace of God because we are believers. 
And when I'm walking in line with the Lord and when I'm in fellowship with the Lord and when I'm following the Lord, I have that peace. And then when I come to make a decision, if I go the wrong way, it's like my peace gets crumbled up and thrown into the garbage. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking and saying, don't go down that road. Don't make that decision. But they're going to override this peace, and they will, they'll make a terrible decision here. And we need to sense those checks that God gives us in our lives. Joshua, yes, he's suspicious here, but the communications, they continue to keep going. He should have stopped talking and said, hey, we're not going to do this. We're going to pray and seek the Lord on this. We have to understand that these guys are deceivers. They're nothing but liars here. And we've got a greater than the Gibeonite who tries to deceive us daily. The Bible declares him the devil as a deceiver. John 44, the latter part says this, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So the same way Joshua is dealing with the Gibeonites here, we should deal with the enemy. And there's lessons all the way through this chapter in our dealings with temptations that come against us by the devil. So it says, Joshua says, who are you? And where did you come from? And verse nine is a very telling verse. So they said to him, from a very far country. First, they said from a far country. They've got him. They're reeling them in by now. And they say, from a very far country, your servants have come. And here's why they've come. Because of the name of the Lord, your God. They've got a little God speak here. And you know, we Christians tend to fall quickly when someone mentions the name of God, if you're dealing with someone at the store, you buy something, you're, the transaction is made, or a lot of time before the transaction is made and someone helping you, oh, God bless you in this and call me jaded, but I'm always a little leery of that. I've got to see more. I've got to sense more. I've got to know more because it's just like, and especially with us believers, a lot of us, whether it's a movie star, hey, so-and-so has become a Christian. Whether it's a rock star, oh, guess who's become a Christian? And we won't even get started talking about the politicians. Every time, a, especially today, every time a politician speaks, oh, yeah, and by the way, may God bless you. <laughs> After they've signed some abortion bill, hey, but God bless you. It's crazy. We need to watch a lifestyle. We need to dig a little deeper here. But they say, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and all king of Bashan who, at Ashtoreth. They know what they're, they're doing here. They've done their research. We can give them credit about that. And what they're doing is making mention of the victories on the east side of the Jordan River. Because if they were to say, we know what you did to Ai and Jericho, that would mean they're close by. 
They've heard this. this was, there was no CNN or Fox News or social media. And so they had to begin to proclaim what the children of Israel had did on the other side of the Jordan. Because if they would have said once again, Jericho or Ai, they would have known right away that they were lying. So they've done their research very well. And Joshua, once again, they're reeling them in. Jesus said this, I will not leave you as orphans. We ha- and he did not do that. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to lean on the Holy Spirit and be checked by the Holy Spirit. There's a defense against the con. There's an absolute foolproof defense for not being con. And that is to walk close to the Lord, to listen to him, to be in his word, to obey him. Joshua, they make their own decisions here. Verse 11, therefore, our elders... And all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Our people has sent us, they're saying. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now, look, it is dry and moldy. So the whole pitch they're doing right now it's for he, they want Joshua and the elders to look only at the physical circumstances that's going on. He says, and these wineskins, which were filled, were new, and see, they are torn. And these, our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions. I'm sure they didn't eat them. They probably began to examine them. They looked, and now they're going to make their decision on what they see on the basis of looking at these physical evidence. God never tells us, you guys, to allow our mind to just check out. I love apologetics. I love uh, studying the word, being in the word, and that's extremely important. And we should be able to defend what we believe. So really what they're doing, they're operating on the basis of common sense here. God, we've investigated the evidence. No need to bother you. You see the same bread we see. You see the same wineskins we see. You see the same clothes that we see. All you need here, they're thinking, is a little common sense. But you know the problem with common sense is It's not so common as reported. It never is. And they're thinking this. So they're going to be fooled by what's going. And so in the circumstances that they're in, the Bible says, don't go by things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. They should have taken it to the Lord. But something else is better here. They should have went to the scriptures. And I love Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. This is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. The thing about it, this is conditional right here. The first three things are yours and mine. We have to do these things. Number one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We don't like that sometimes. We like to trust in the Lord 
with part of our hearts. And we'll take care of the rest. But the prerequisite here, God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And once again, the heart is where the decision-making process is made. Desire is way more powerful than the intellect. And then he says, lean not to your own understanding. And that can be offensive to us. I know I'm a college graduate. I know everything. God says, no, no, no. The natural man does not discern the things of the spirit. The Bible says they are foolishness to him. So we need to lean not on our own understanding. Then he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And we don't do that all the time. But he says, if we do these things, heart, mind, and will, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, then he moves in and he will always do his part. He shall direct your path. He always does that. So it says, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. That was their great failure. They didn't go and seek the Lord. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, as he was speaking about the spiritual armor against the devil that God has given us, emphasizing what he does here, emphasizing the importance of prayer. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And I think only God knows how many times disaster has happened because and could have been avoided if we only would have went to him in prayer first. And so he's, he's teaching us to pray in all our circumstances and situations and ask him for wisdom. Matter of fact, James tells us if any of you lacks wisdom, and I do, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God says, if you don't understand, if you don't know which way you should go, ask me. I won't upbraid you. I won't call you a dummy. I want to communicate with you. I want to pour into you. Nothing is too small for God. Ask me. That's what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden just being beside them. And they had questions after questions. God never took a deep breath and said, man, I've told you this. He continues to teach. He continues to tell them that's relationship. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 15, so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. I believe that the other nations begin to speak about some of the Hivites and the children of Israel heard that they had made a mistake here. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shephirah, Beeroth, 
and Kerith-Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Israel's God is wrapped up into this now. So they just can't do what they want to do because God's name and God's honor is at stake. And all the congregation complain against the rulers. Now, some people say they complain because the children of Israel, they're frustrated that they won't get to go in and take the loot and the bounty of the city that they just did at Ai and Bethel. And that could be some of it. But they also, I think, complain because of the prayerlessness of their leaders. All they had to do is go and seek the Lord, and the Lord would have answered them and told them what to do. And at Restore, we have congregational prayer, the third, the fourth, last Sun, last Wednesday. You guys should come out, and many of you do. And we should seek the Lord congregationally, but we should always be praying for the smallest things. God wants to work in our lives. Nothing gets done except by prayer. So if things are not getting done in your life, probably need to pray more because nothing will be done except by prayer that will last. And so they don't do this. And what a privilege it is to go to the Lord in prayer, to seek the Lord, God Almighty, the God of the universe, and share, pour out your heart to him. And he's there and he listens And he begins to speak to us. And that's what he would have done right here. But they know. They can handle it. They're okay. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, and once again, the congregation must have been upset. You guys should have prayed. You guys have messed up. We're not going to get to take any of the bounty. We're not going to get to do anything. We should be killing them and taking everything but it's not going to happen. Cooler heads prevail. Joshua tells them this, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them because they had sworn this oath in the Lord's name. Joshua says, get over it. They're going to be here. God expected them to keep this oath. He expected them to do this. In fact, remember in 2 Samuel chapter 21, Saul becomes king. And Saul did okay for a minute, but he says, I'm going to destroy the Gibeonites. And he started to. Then he stopped. And when David takes the throne, there's a famine in the land. And David is saying, what is going on? I'm walking right. Things are going on. Why this famine? And God speaks and he said, it's because of Saul when he destroyed the Gibeonites. And so David, remember the account? David goes to, the, to Gibeah and says, now I've remembered what Saul did. What do you want us to do to make up for this? And they said, we want Saul's three of his sons to be hanged. And when that happened, the famine was over. So God, he wants us to keep our our oath 
that we make. And this was 100 years later that this happened. The Gibeonites here, they were protected. They had assurance because they were under an oath that was made through deceit. This oath was. How safe are we under a better covenant, you guys? What assurance we should have under the blood of Jesus Christ, the covenant that we have. If the Gibeonites are safe because they come into a covenant out of deceit, how much more should every Christian be safe under the blood of Jesus Christ, a better covenant? Joshua says, we may not touch them. And before I continue, your enemy, our enemy, the devil, like the Gibeonites, he's very crafty. He's deceptive. Paul says this, for we are not ignorant of his devices, but truth be told, we are very ignorant of his devices at times. Satan's been scheming, doing the things he does for thousands of years. He has studied humanity, what makes us tick, how he can maneuver my temptations, my failings. And the only way I can get around that, and you can get around that, is walking close to the Lord, being obedient to his word. Temptations will still come. We're not immune to them but we have a better chance to defeat them when we're in his word and seeking his face. Once again, Joshua does not do this. So after they rally together, they come up with a plan. And the reason they come up with this plan, I want you to know, they just didn't think of it themselves. They sought the Lord in prayer. I want you to catch this. They sought the Lord in prayer. God told them what to do. And this is very important that God told them what to do. This we will do to them. We will let them live. Lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to, to them. And the rulers said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the ruler has promised them. First, notice this, Joshua will say, it will be for the congregation. Then he will say, for the house of my God. And finally, he will say, for the altar. What are they doing? They're getting closer and closer and closer to Yahweh God. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them saying, why? He can't get over it now. Why have you deceived us? Joshua, you had a little part in it saying, we are very far from you when you dwell near us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God, speaking of the tabernacle. So they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord, your God, commanded his, they even know about Moses because he's in Deuteronomy, your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. The Gibeonites are saying, we believe God and we take him at his word, especially when it's pertaining to us. What perked their ears up was, hey, you're supposed to destroy everything and everybody. 
And they say, we believe what he says. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. God will take this compromise, this lack of prayer that they should have had, and turn it into beauty for ashes here. That's exactly what he does. We find the Gibeonites in Second Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. I want you to think with me for a moment here. The whole reason the children of Israel were, were supposed to destroy all of these nations is why? Because they were vile and they were wicked, and they did not want them to influence or have an influence on who? The children of Israel. They were done. It was over. We've given them 420 years. There's no hope for them. So go into the land and destroy everyone. But God also had another plan, because the Gibeonites, even in this mistake, the Gibeonites would have never made it if not for the Lord. So as they huddle up in prayer, Joshua and his elders, Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, we blew it. Lord, we made a mistake. We can't go back. What do you want us to do? And God begins to speak. He said, this is what I want you to do. Because you're right. You should have destroyed them. This is what I want you to do. Because I love you, children of Israel. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take these Gibeonites, these idolatrous, vile, from birth Gibeonites, and I want you to make them woodcutters carrying the fire to the altar, to the tabernacle, listening to the worship songs, listening to the priests telling of the law and carrying water, cleansing the sacrifices. And even when Joshua divvies up the land, he puts the Gibeonites with the Levites. So you had the teachers of the word, you had the teachers of the law in the same piece of land with these Gibeonites. And they're studying the law and they're studying the word and they're beginning to say, man, we really didn't know God. And we're getting to know God. God knew what he was doing with this influence. And even the tabernacle, when it was at Gibeah, right where the Gibeonites were. So they were working in the tabernacle and they came or a lot had the opportunity to know the one true God. Matter of fact, when the children of Israel are sent out to Babylonia, when a lot of the children of Israel didn't want to come back, 5,000 Gibeonites came back and returned and helped build the tabernacle. 
only because of the grace and mercy of God. They should have been destroyed. I should have been destroyed. You should have been destroyed. No hope and without God in the world. That's what the Bible says. But yet and still, he opened up a heart and he revealed his son to us. No one, as long as they have breath in their body, no one is far away from Jesus Christ. No one is far. God gives up on no one. And no matter what we're going through as children of God, as believers, we need to seek him in prayer. We don't need to make any decision without going to him in prayer. But even if and when we do, God loves us so much that he takes beauty, takes ashes and conforms them into beauty. It's still on your resume but it's a testimony to the goodness and the kindness of God. So let's walk close to him. Let's don't think we know it all and we've did it so long, whatever, whether it's our job, whatever our occupation is, that we don't need to check in with God and say, hey, can I do this in a different way? I like what Pastor Jonathan said the other day about when we do events. Just because we did one event one way and it was pretty successful, doesn't mean we have to do it again. Let's check in with God and listen to him. Maybe he wants to do something different. And God is very good all the way through the scriptures of doing things differently every time he makes a move. Therefore, we must stay in close contact with him, you guys. That's what he wants. He wants to be a blessing to us. So let's walk close to him. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, Your mercies are new each and every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, you're so good to us. Even when we go down a road we shouldn't go, Lord, you're right there speaking, calling us back to you. Lord, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're long-suffering. But Lord, I ask that you would fill us fill our hearts with more of you, that we would allow you to fill us to the brim with your spirit, that we may honor you in our lifestyle, Father God. You've been good. You've been good to me. And why, I don't even know, Lord. But Lord, I pray that you would speak a blessing over every one of your children that's watching online and here this morning, Father, that you would encourage us as only you can do. You handle us gently. David said that. The sweet psalmist of Israel, he'd been through much, and he didn't sign off as being the king of Israel. He said the sweet psalmist of Israel because he knew how close and intimate you were towards him. And that's the safest place we can be. So, Father, I pray for every believer here, Lord, that you will recharge our battery, knowing that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that we can walk in victory and we can walk in confidence, but not arrogantly in you, knowing that we are dependent on you, that we only will have victory through you, 
and we lean on you and not to our own understanding. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.